you got to be always growing your teams of investors because if you have more investors who can invest in your deal they believe in you then you can take down larger like 50 million dollar deals and all those things will come only if we can bring the money but if the investors can come to dance with us at the end they are winners everybody's a win 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 situation i really believe that this is the everything real estate investing show with Sean Pan where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips tricks and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals and now welcome to the show hey everyone and welcome to another episode of the everything real estate investing show with Sean Pan today we have Vinny Chopra Vinny is a multifamily investor here in the Bay Area who started his journey from $7 in his pocket to owning over $326 million in assets. In this episode, Vinny will share his story of how he built his portfolio and how he scaled his business by syndicating deals with other investors to invest in commercial real estate. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to the show and leave a review. We release episodes every Wednesday and Sunday and release the show notes on our site, everythingrei.com/podcast. Enjoy. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and how you got into real estate. Hi Sean, I'm Vinny Chopra. Vinny Chopra right here in Danville, California in the Bay Area. Actually, I moved here from Ohio out of any place. Actually, I'm from India originally. I came to this country with $7 in my pocket many, many moons ago and I'm really excited. I came, I'm an engineer, mechanical engineer. but i came to this usa land of opportunity to do my mba in marketing sales and marketing i thought good combination of engineering and marketing will make it a good human being or you know do well in my life but it just so happened shawn that i had to earn money to go to school of course and i sold books i sold encyclopedias bible books educational books and that turned me from an engineer to a sales career and never looked back at it to be truthful just enjoyed it thoroughly became a consultant promotional consultant fundraising consultant and moved higher up in the company and so forth got married 39 years back so we moved to beria by the way you're also in the beria right that's yeah? right Yeah Beria San Francisco we moved here 39 years back we've been married 39 years also have two children Neil Neil went to Berkeley right here and electrical engineering computer science and our daughter Monica went to UCLA so we are you know happy living in the East Bay actually we live in Danville Blackhawk and that's where I am I got into real estate as you and I met at the REI bar, uh, bar camp you know with Bo Extin good friend of mine and a co-host actually we are doing a show every friday live 10 o'clock show winnie and bo show we call it on real estate as well as personal development to bring your company at a higher level very nice what was your path into going into real estate You know that's a good point. Sean actually we started when we came here 39 years back into Bay Area our friends were talking about real estate and that was something we didn't know any. I mean you know we were thinking to buy a single family home that's all we you know wanted to do but then when they talked about rental and how you could purchase a home and you lease it out you know for a year or two year then the resident is paying the mortgage and all that stuff made sense to me 
And then we started buying single family real estate in California. We bought quite a bit. We went to Arizona, bought over there, Georgia, in India, in Texas, all over the place. But then it just dawned on me. This was about 2004 or so. My wife said, you know, you know so much about real estate get a license, a broker license. I said, oh, really? Okay. So that's when I immersed myself and studied a little bit more. And I sat for the exam, I think in 2004 or five, and got my broker's license, real estate broker. Then the thing was what to do with it. You know, you start a business in real estate. That's what the common people do. And, you know, you start a company and then have realtors work under you. You become a part of a larger company, things like that. It just so happened somehow single family rental was not giving the kind of cash flow that I thought we should be getting. It's a small number, right? Because if you're making a couple of hundred dollars a month from the rent after the rent, the residents pay rent and then you pay the mortgage and you pay for expenses, you pay for the management fee, you pay for the insurance, you pay for the property taxes, all those things. It was a very small amount left at the end of the year. But then if something went wrong, like a stove needed to be put or garage door opener closed and it needed to be fixed and the boiler, you know, leaked or things like that, or the resident left, by the way. Oh, wow. We call resident, not a tenant, but the tenant left Guess what? You have 100% vacant house now. Now you have to fix them all again, paint it or do the flooring and this and that, appliances. Now you lost so much money that even for the next year, you may not make any money. So it just didn't sit right with me. You know, even though we had so many homes and the tax ramifications were okay. But the big thing was, how can I scale up? So that's when, Sean, I looked into commercial side and I said, residential, commercial. Okay, what's in the commercial now? In the commercial also was hospitality, hotels, owning hotels and or working as leasing uh, consultant for office space, industrial shopping centers. Uh, all these things came to my mind and I opened up. Explore. I like to research a lot. That's me as an engineer. I just always believe one should really make final decisions in life and then go for it with vengeance, with just not making anything to stop you then. Once you make that decision, it's not the decision we make. It's what we do with the decision and how to make it right or wrong. It's our part after we make a decision. So that's what happened. My wife and I, we said, okay, now we're going to be in apartment buying because it made sense to me that if we have 20, 30 homes all over USA, how about if I can bring all them together into one place? And that's what apartment community is, that you have 20 residents living or 50 or 100, now 300 in our case. We have grown from 14 unit apartment complex that I bought for 180,000, by the way. 180,000 to 53 million dollars, 52 million dollar deal that we bought together with our business partners and other business partners as a 50-50. So that's like growing from 180,000 acquisition 12 years back to 26 million dollar if we make it half 
of 52 to 26 million. So I think the thing is the numbers are so huge in apartments, in buying multifamily, that it just made sense to me. Economies of scale, one transaction for, you know, 30 unit apartment as compared to 30 different homes, uh, different maintenance people for 30 different homes scattered all over, rather than just one maintenance person, maybe even part time for 30 unit is sufficient. And then we talked about transactions. Purchasing a property, you have to qualify for loans. So for single family, having like 30 different transactions of 30 different loans in multifamily, it was one loan, one transaction, one place, and you could hire one company to take care of all the things. Yeah, it totally makes sense if you talk about scale. Yeah, scaling. So once you decided that you wanted to be in multifamily apartments, what did you do afterwards? Oh, okay. Good point. Very good point. I mean, you know, the biggest thing was to get a coach. I really believe that when you want to learn something, somebody's already figured out and it's naive and it's insane not to really seek out the person who has already done what you are trying to do. I mean, you know, you could really learn so fast by having a good mentor or a coach. I mean, people in our, in a USA, you know, people who have made good money, they are the ones, they always believe that, you know, they should be a trainer, right? We pay $100, $200, $500 to go to gyms. We have nutritional coaches. We have physical coaches, mental coaches, right? Which are our psychologists, right? They are coaches too. But why not to also get the business we want to go into? Why not to invest in that business and get a coach or a mentor who has done walking. He picked himself up or herself up and learned from the very best of the best. And they have formed some skills and habits and they've designed the blueprint. Why not to get that blueprint? So that's what I did, by the way. You know, I spent a ton of money. A lot of people know who know me well that I just go to the number one attorney, number one this, number one that, to learn from them. And that's what I did. So who is your mentor? Okay, actually, my mentor 14 years back is still is strong. And that was Dave Lindahl. And thanks to Dave and his team who really taught me well. And now I'm teaching my students at uh, one-tenth the cost, what they charge. Very nice. So what do you think makes a good mentor? You know, a good mentor is somebody who's passionate about teaching, first of all. A mentor can be only as good as they put efforts into the person they're teaching or a student and they are giving them everything they got. They are not just saying, let somebody call me back, get their money first. And then you say, okay, when you need me, call me. You got to have regular schedule of meeting with your students to excite them, motivate them and give them knowledge. That's one thing. The other thing is mentors should be well sought through. Other words, like people who are spending so much money, you need to look at the track record of mentors and the coaches, because if they have not reached the height where you want to go, they cannot lead you there. They cannot, because you got to look at their mistakes and they should be able to guide you how to avoid the mistakes, how to, what they developed over the years, like many of my tools, I developed over 12 years, Sean, and I give it 
on day one in my academy right here in bay area for such a small cost that's the best investment anybody can have 50x easy some people tell me vinny you should be charging thousands of dollars and people are willing to pay me now they say your tricks of the trade you learned it you've done it from 0 dollar which i started by the way 12 years back to almost 326 million dollars of assets and not too many coaches and mentors can say that in usa there are few but a lot of people who are coaching mentoring uh, they have bought 200 units 500 units 1000 units 1500 units but not to the scale but i think one needs to be learning from the very best absolutely and so what did you do for your very first deal you said you started with 0 dollars and it slowly accumulated over time you want to tell your story about your first deal Oh sure I would love to love to and you know the biggest thing is I want to mention to everybody nothing comes overnight there is nothing called overnight success in real estate especially of course in stocks in startup companies maybe if you put a good on the right horse or horse racing right you choose the right horse you can make quick buck or slot machine you can make a quick buck right but that's chances are very very slim in real estate also it took me 11 months i want to mention that 11 months to really buy that 14 units and also the 109 units in the same week in the same week so it was a lot of hard work it was a lot of trying a lot of dealing with brokers looking at the markets working with the team qualifying for the loan all that stuff shan so 14 unit was not that hard but the process that went into it taught us so much it really did it taught us so much because we had to start from finding out where we want to buy that 14 units we didn't buy in california we were working remotely from here in texas right but dealing with the brokers on the phone dealing with the the bank and everybody on the phone remotely had its own challenges but nowadays it's so easy a lot of things are done remotely now in a very good way through zoom meetings and through seminars and webinars and things like that so kind of taking you back 14 unit for 180000 was not that high amount we didn't syndicate that deal we just needed 50000 total so we got 25 and 25 to put the money down and then the bank local bank which we had met with the president he liked us and the system and everything he approved my loan right away so that was a small deal right but we can maybe go to a multifamily deal then right it was also multifamily but we did not syndicate syndicate is the word where we pool the money together from other people for bigger acquisitions right companies are always syndicating all these big companies people are buying stocks in the shares of that company same thing is with syndication in real estate where people are able to buy shares in the apartment community we call it so 109 units with 101 storage units and a commercial building we had three things together in uh, 2.33 acres of land actually in texas and our seller wanted to sell it to us for about 2 and 1/2 million dollars i think 2.6 million that's my 
big syndication deal, what I did. But the thing is, the loan getting was so hard. The banks, it was crashing that time, almost 12 years back, I'm saying now, 2007 and 8, we are talking about when the crash came, economy was taking a downturn. And we said, oh my gosh, we are working so hard. Nobody wants to give us the loan. Guess what? We said, let's find creatively, let's do seller financing. So back then, that's what we did. We started talking to the broker at that time. And we said, you know, would you ask your seller to do seller financing for us? And that's what he approached the seller. And we said, okay, would you take about 25% down, right? And they said, no, 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 no. We don't want to take 25% down. We said, okay, how about 30% down? They said, no, again, they wouldn't come on the table. We said 35% down. No, 40% down. Literally, we had to give $1 million down to buy our first nice syndicated deal. And I remember we had to raise $1,150,000 for our deal back. This is 12 years back. It was a big mountain. <laughs> you know, we had not raised any money at all. We had very few investors. But when you find that you want to do well in life, you figure out a way. We started learning about putting some slide presentations together before the deal came, actually. So we were having pre-existing relationships with our investors. I used to do seminars right here in Foster City, in Mil in Gilroy, in San Jose. I might have even done some over here in Hayward, I remember. I mean, these were our investors. We are getting them, paying for their lunch, and then talking to them about investing in real estate. That was education part of it. So I refined my the PowerPoint and bigger and bigger and bigger. As a matter of fact, my mentor asked me to come to Chicago. And he says, Vinnie, talk to 350 people. How can you raise so much money? And I said, it's all in the attitude. It's all in when you design some good educational PowerPoint, then the investors feel good about it because you are teaching them some things. And then you tell them, hey, we are looking into these areas in Texas or Georgia or wherever you're purchasing. And then they would look forward to getting your, you have to have the pre-existing relationship. That's the wording. SEC ruling says you cannot show the deal to the people where you talk to the people after you get the deal. You have to have the people already vetted, talked to, goal set, everything ready, pre-existing relationships. Then the deal comes. Then you package the deal and show it to the people on the this side. They will make a decision to come with you. You cannot show the deal after people that you talk to. That's a big thing. A lot of people are aware of it, but some people are not. But I like to really be very clear. You got to have pre-existing relationship for 506B. That's the term, exemption 506B. But if it's 506C, as in Charlie, then you can advertise and you can only for accredited investors, you could do that. So before you even had this deal, you were out promoting your, I guess you're just talking about it, uh, different meetup groups. Yeah, not the deal itself, but we were educating the investors. Hey, if we get a deal in the future, would you like to sit down with us? 
we are looking at these kind of deals like samples or whatever. And then why we are going in Texas. That's the huge part. 12 years back, we tried to do a lot of statistics to see where the jobs were good in what cities, smaller cities. We didn't want to buy in big, big cities because we couldn't afford a lot of high price multifamily properties. So we went to smaller tertiary market. It's called tertiary of the big MSAs. We go into like Odessa and Midland in my case. Then we went to San Marcos again and San Antonio, all that place, right? But the key thing is, Sean, to educate the investors. That's the huge part. You got to educate them so that they are able to feel that you are an authority. You are giving them something to teach them. And then they will be feeling comfortable, have trust with you. They need to have trust. We didn't have any trust at all at that time. We had no track record, by the way. Zero track record, which a lot of my students don't have right now. Right? So the big thing is to bring that credibility book and put together that beautiful package to show the investors how much you know, what's your business advisor, who you're getting coached with, things like that. And then show them the sample examples, what you're looking into, what you're underwriting. So the more comfortable they will feel and they trust you, then only they will invest with you. That's very smart. And right now you're still very heavy on Texas, is that correct? You know, yeah, we bought almost 24 syndications we did in Texas, by the way, 24. That's a lot. I think it's still pretty strong. I really believe in that. San Antonio, north side of San Antonio, Austin, Dallas, Fort Worth. I mean, everything is emerging. Houston is a little bit kind of lagging, a little bit behind. After Harvey, it went up, but then it got flat. And it also still is quite a bit dependent on the oil and things like that, other industries. But the thing is, Texas is strong. It's going to stay strong. The other parts, there are a lot of markets which are, if you go to Carolinas, if you go to Kentuckys, go to Alabamas, right? Kansas, El Paso, Texas, a lot of other places are, you know, Abilene, Texas. I just heard somebody was mentioning, I, I have not bought there, but a lot of places are. And then Florida, Florida is also emerging a lot, Sean. So it's like where your comfort level is, first of all. And where your investors will take their money with you or not, that's a huge part also. You can be underwriting all over the world, but if the investors don't come to dance with you at the closing, you don't have a deal, right? Unless you're very rich and so forth. So that's why I really believe in sending newsletters, making sure you're keeping proper touch with the investors, making sure they understand where you're underwriting, what risk factors are there, and then what kind of properties you are purchasing also. Are you into C-class, C-minus, B-class, B-plus? We used to be a lot of in the Cs and C-minuses. We converted them into Bs and sold them quite a bit portfolio. But now we are into Bs in B-plus areas and B and A-minus areas or A areas because that's where we are finding millennials are moving into Millennials are making more money, first of all, and they're liking more portability with better amenities. That's the key thing. You got to have a good gym and a good jacuzzi and good swing pool and good cafe, cyber cafe, media centers, dog parks, covered parkings, valley trash, 
all those things are very important to them. And then the seniors are retiring. See, that's the other thing. Baby boomers, 72 million, they are retiring also every day, so many thousands of them. But the big thing is where are they liking to live in Arizona or Florida for a warmer climate, rightly so. As we get older, joints are better in the warmer climate. So a lot of people from the Canadians, you know, north side, Toronto, Montreal, all, if they are living or they have a second place, they're coming to Florida, right, that side. And uh, New York, a lot of people from New York, Boston, all that area there. Californians, many Californians are moving into Arizona. So both are meccas for senior living and things like that. So if you were to start all over again, imagine you didn't have your empire in Texas, how would you decide what place to invest in? You know, that's a good point. I would say if I were starting today, I will always go back to the basic city data. I like to look at, okay, where the jobs are coming. See, the thing about syndication is we have to guard the money of the investors better than our money. And how can we guard their money better is by buying. If you're into multifamily, into any kind of other commercial state, you got to see where the apartments are only good if they're full, right? 95% occupied, 96, 97. If it's 99% occupied, we need to be changing and moving the rents higher because if you're lower, then only we get into that 100% occupancy deals and all that. So I would say... At this time, oh my gosh, I would do again research of if I don't know anything and anything, I'll do research, see how much I can afford, first of all, with the net worth, get a principal with me, another principal who will co-sign on the thing so that I can buy bigger apartments. Then you have to look into now, Texas will be always strong. So Texas, Florida's, Carolinas, Kentucky's, I love them, and Alabama's. Somehow Northeast, we are finding the prices are reasonable and also jobs are coming there also. So that's where I would be. If you ask me now, I'll be in those markets again. And the good part is that you got to see wherever you buy, how is the market going to be for the next seven years, 10 years minimum? And There are lots of data available now too, as compared to before, 14, 15 years back. But dig into those reports, dig into those. How can we really find out? I'd like to give a golden nugget to your listeners is operating memorandums are the key in any market where you want to purchase a property. You go on the websites of commercial brokers, Cushman and Field, CBRE, Transwestern, ARA, Marcus Millichap, all these companies, right? So they have properties on sale, but they also put together a 70-page memorandum. It's called operating memorandum. Please get that, sign the CA, confidentiality agreement and all that. But once you get it, Sean, they have to sell that property. So they go through all the reports, current reports, and make about four, five, six pages long, even sometimes 10, 12 pages long, all the graphs are there, all the statistics are there, all the job markets are there, the employers are there, all the data is already put in for you. And then you get that, and then you look at their sources, then you go to the main sources, 
and you can get a lot of get good information about that market. And then, of course, reading the Forbes and Fortune magazine and articles, Google is the best friend. You know, if you just say Wichita, Kansas, for example, I just took that word out, Wichita, Campus Space 2019 growth, economic growth, just say that you will get so many links show up in Google. But then you see when there was the study done, if it's two years old, no good. We want to get as close to in the last quarter or quarter before. That's where you get into that place, right? Now you got some good article. You try to do your due diligence. Then you start training your investors by sending the newsletters and emails and everything. And even holding webinars with your pre-existing relationship clients or investors to teach them. That's very smart. Leverage someone else's research for your own. Yeah, why not? See, the thing is, I mean, it's amazing. This world is filled with so much data. So much data is there. And they have done it because they are selling a property in uh, Lexington, Kentucky, let's say, right? I just took another city out. Now, Lexington, Kentucky, if you go and search everything, you could do that. It will take you many, many, many days and time, hour. But if you go to Lexington, Kentucky, Google it and see who are the biggest players in multifamily, if that's what you're doing, or hotels, whatever you're buying, strip shopping center, find out who the total create, the movers and shakers, I call it, right, of the brokers. Then you go on their website and try to get the operating memorandums because they are going to tell the world why Lexington is the best place and they're going to look at all the factual data to present it. Nice. And so what is your buying criteria now? Because you mentioned Dave Lindahl. He had his holy trinity. Past Dave Lindahl 14 years back. I mean, the thing is over the years we have changed. Of course, I bought cash on cash is always my number one criteria, which has stayed true for 12 years. Of course, cash on cash is big. Cap rate I don't really worry about cap rate that much because properties have come a long way in 14 years, by the way. And also we are buying from C minus to B, B plus assets, which are newer also because of the age and everything, because there is different maintenance. So the higher cap rate properties are cheaper, right? Higher cap rate means cheaper. So those are in the C, C minus categories right there. But as we go to B, B plus properties, newer properties, the cap rate shrinks. But the cash on cash is the main thing. Cash on cash is total cash at the end of the year after paying the mortgage and capex, all the expenses. That's the money that you can take to the bank, I call it, right? That's what we can distribute to the investors. And then how much it costs to buy that property down payment, closing costs, everything, all the fees and all that. So that is the cash on cash. If you can do 7 or 8% cash on cash, is amazing in this market, in the B category of assets. So if you can get a B class, B minus with 7 to 8% cash on cash, that's pretty darn good in a good market, emerging market. But if you can do 10%, that's even better. Cash and cash, the more you have, money is very cheap. As you all know, right now, we have had so many adjustments and you could buy 
5 million loan, 10 million, 20 million dollar loan with only 5% interest rate. We are getting, we just bought $52 million deal in Orlando, Florida, a few months back. We got 3.82%, 3.82%, 30-year amortized, 10-year fixed, by the way, same rate, 10 years, and five years of interest only. So that was pretty good term. Interest only for five years, then we don't have to pay down the, the what you call it, pay down the balance, right? And then IO interest only loans are amazing. With the new one, we just got into contract with another property, $35 million property right there in Florida again. And that's a very nice new property with a good differential. We call it the market rents and what the property is charging or the residents are paying. Big space there, huge space in this particular deal also. And we always look for mismanagement, right? A little bit because we manage ourselves, all our assets, things like that. So it's very important that we always have a business plan, exit strategy, we call it, right? Why are we going to sell in five years or four years so that we can project our numbers? How are we going to increase the rental income by increasing the rents, by putting more renovations into the units? What we're going to put into the community, what we're going to get out of the community, right? So that's all important right there. Also, the rub system, maybe your listeners might know that's the ratio utilities bill back system where we charge for the water, trash, gas, pest control back to the residents. They do have individual meter for the electricity. Majority of the communities do. But master water is built to the owner so we can actually differentiate and charge that back to the residents. Same thing is true for trash. Garbage comes out of the property, people living there. So it's just like, You can educate them. Hey, this is what you're going to pay if you buy a single family home. We are giving you a great community and they don't mind. You know, they like to invest and give that uh, extra income, we call it, which is the rubs income, right? And then you want to give them good amenities and do more for them, right? Cyber cafes and other things, like I mentioned, the amenities that the millennials like and then you can increase the rent. They will increase the rent with the Nest. I know we do the smart home features now, the USB plugs, Nest, other things like that, cameras, ring cameras, video camera, all that stuff. And then also in our lake communities, we are putting kayaking decks and all that. So it's really becoming really good to move into the B class where we are now. We never buy A's because A's are too expensive and then you can't, it's already pushed to the hilt, the rents are and so forth. We like for value place. So you're asking for a 7 to 8% cash on cash return. Is that day one cash on cash returns or after you stabilize? Okay, good point. Yeah, in the C class buildings, you should be able to get 7 or 8% cash on cash day one. Day one, but in the B, B plus in nicer communities, you might be only looking at 5% cash and cash, five or five and a half. It gets lowered, right? In the, because we are paying more per unit price. Sean, so you're right. Yeah. So that is cash and cash on day one, but then you implement in your five-year projection or seven-year projection, you implement the increase in rent, how it's going to be more by 
turning the, as the leases come due, we call it, leases come due, then you can increase the rent, bump it up a little bit more, $50 or $75 or whatever it is, but it's going to take you a year to convert all the leases, right? The other thing is also the rub system. As the new leases come due, if they have not implemented rubs, that's the other part which will increase the value. The third thing is if we have vending machines and other things, if we have laundry facilities, of course, then we should be able to look at how we can make those laundry experiences better by getting new machines or better machines or card the cards system and uh, nicely by right there gyms if you can add more money into the gym maybe we can increase the per month rent because you are bringing the better facilities to the community that's what i'm trying to say valley trash a lot of young people professionals love to pay 30 dollars they have to drag their white bag so many times to the other side of the community where the trash bag is right many people have to put it in their car then they drive around there then they throw the trash back so valley trash has become very big parking right in front of your apartment community is very big people love to pay 30 40 50 bucks just to have a reserve parking right in front and it doesn't cost much to do the signs and everything right there so Answer your question, yeah, definitely. You want to always be looking at what percentage the money, what interest rate you're getting. And money is pretty cheap. Next year, also 2020, as we are doing in 2019 now, the interest rates are going to cut down twice more, I heard. It's amazing. Nobody's got the crystal ball. But the thing is, there is a downward pressure. I know economy, they're saying bull market has been bull for 12 years, which is true. It doesn't last that long. So there is correction coming, but we need to hedge against the correction, right? So we are actually doing higher LTVs now, loan to value, so that if there is a downward pressure, we also pressure test our properties for 30% vacancy, by the way. If we can lower occupancy to 70%, how would our numbers work? Are we still solvent? Are we still able to pay the mortgage and all that, right? And that's why mortgage having interest only is so important because if it's interest plus principal, then your mortgage is very big, very high, and it has to come from the cash flow, nowhere else, unless you do a cash call. We have never done a cash call in the last 12 years, and my investors appreciate that. So what is your strategy? Are you a kind of like a buy and hold guy or do you guys kind of sell it after five, seven years? Good point. Yeah, we have been selling assets in about, I would say, three to five, six years. Some of the assets we have sold in six and six and a half years also. But I'm not a, a buy and hold guy in any imagination in uh, figures. I just feel like that in my thinking, logical mind, engineering mind, is that market cycle is like this, right? Market cycle goes like this, up and down, right? And the bell curve and then bell up, bell down. So if we go through a market and we are at the peak, it's going to somewhere break in and it's going to go down. So the value of the property will go down and then it's going to take three, four, five years for it to come back and then go back again to the higher point. 
So the thing is, if we keep it, the property for 14 years, let's just say if six or seven years is one market cycle, right? And then we have another cycle next seven years. So my thinking is that the property may be worth a little bit more after 14 years. It's not going to be double, right? So that's where the thinking is to just sell it in next three, five, six years, get that money into another place, into another property or in another area, which is going to start emerging so that I can take that money of the investors and bring them great returns again. So that's the main reason why I don't like, I think family offices or even for ourselves, for our family to leave the legacy, it's a good thing to hold it. It's okay. Then you don't have too many consequences of selling and 1031, the gains and all that to pay. So that way, each situation is different. Makes sense. And so you're very famous about having a big team and your own property management company in Texas. What do you do if you get a new deal, let's say in Carolina or Florida? Very good. Surely, you know, our systems are all set up. So we have accounting department, HR, payroll. Those are the main thrusts. Our asset managers, right? Then our VP of marketing, all that, right? So those people are stationary. But when we go to different communities, we build our whole company structure there. Like when we went to San Antonio, we opened a new branch there and we were able to hire people, community managers, lead maintenance, leasing agents, porters, all locally, right? When we went to Houston, we did the same thing. First property, we tried to see if those are properties running good. Then we asked the seller if we can interview your employees while we are in the takeover process. And if they are really doing good and the residents love them, we like to make our employees then. They have to apply. We interview. We do all the drug testing, all the background checks and everything. Then they become Monil in uh, management group employees. Then we go to, so then we keep on building teams. Like we had 10 assets in the Houston area. We kept on building. We got almost like 55 people there at the peak. Then we went to Georgia. So now Georgia, we were able to train few people in Texas. They were from Georgia. We brought them to our training labs in Houston, trained them. Then they flew back, right? So now they got the Monil culture. So our employment book, handbook, our structure, payroll structure. So we try to duplicate that system wherever we go. That's how it is. So it's not that hard. I know it seems like a very big thing it is but once you systematically design the systems you can duplicate it like a franchise but we own all our properties and we manage all our properties too now we are managing 50 50 with enzo multifamily my good partners which we are buying in florida we bought 52 million we are buying 35 million now we are buying another 200 million next year so that's going to be exciting Oh, it's crazy. From seven bucks, now you're talking about 50 million, 20 million, like it's no big deal. It's just amazing. I think mind has its own limitations. I always believe that. I think it's better to think abundantly. It's better to think positively. It's better to think, if you think small, small things happen. If we start thinking big, big things, I never knew I could be really into $50 million deal. I never knew that. I was buying here $180,000, my 14 units and 2.4 million. 
my 109 units, and now we are buying 200 units at 35 million. Look at what the differential is. But I think over the years, you want to be always looking into how can you raise more money? See, it's all limitation of the raising money, to be truthful, because you can get a partner, you can get a high net worth individual to sign on the deal with you. You can get a property management company who will be able to manage it because lender won't give you the loan unless you have a good partner, right? But the biggest thing I like to tell everybody is that there is $26 trillion. Somebody said $30 trillion. Uh, I was in Orlando. They did a presentation. They said, oh, no, in retirement funds, we have $30 trillion now, three zero. That's a T, trillion. That tells me that there's so much money in the Wall Street right now. It's amazing. It's in under the pillow or in the bank <laughs> or in the Wall Street. But only 4% of the money, retirement plans are investing in syndications, smaller syndications or crowdfunding. REITs, yes, people can buy REITs and all they invest in REITs with big Wall Street brokerage houses like the Fidelities, Vanguards, Tiro Price, you name it, Charles, Charles Schwab, all of the big ones. But then there are other custodians like Pensco, Equity Trust, and Trust. Advanta, uh, IRAs and all, uh, IRA trust company right here in the Coma City in the Bay Area. But all those are custodians where syndicators like us are able to give the deals, bring it to them, and they have to okay them. Then they let their investors to invest with into smaller deals. And the returns are great because you are able to manage them smaller number as compared to the REITs, which are big, very big blown out syndications, of course, but they don't have, even if they're making 5% or 6% per year, it's pretty good. But we try to do 7, 8, 9% preferred plus the equity gain, which can amount to another 10% per year. So that you are making about 15, 16, 18, 19% per year, which is a good thing. And passively, I mean, that's all passively, by the way, while people are sleeping, they can just put their money to work for them by investing into good syndicates who have track record, proven track record, who manage nicely, who are transparent, who are showing everything up front. This is where it is, who are taking good notes of letting the communication channel. It's so important for investors to give 100000 or 50000 just to make sure they are secure, the investment is secure, and that the investment syndicator is providing the cash flow like they presented it in the package. So what is your preferred strategy for raising money now? Yeah, see, the thing is, you could do several ways. I would say for accredited investors, by having a website, by advertising, you could do 506C, C as in Charlie, right? Exemption for the Regulation D. Now, if many people are doing 506B with a boy, that's where you need to not advertise. You cannot do any kind of advertising. You can't tell anybody without knowing them and making sure you have pre-existing relationships. That's the word. Pre-existing relationship is so important where we are letting the investors know we are looking into a deal and then we present to you when it's locked in, right? So, that's a good way. 
again, you know, a lot more people are getting to invest passively. I, I would say I've seen a big thrust of people, lots and lots of investors who are saying, we don't want to not, we are retiring or we are kind of closing down, but we got the money. We want to invest with a good deal where it can bring, um, bring passive returns. So do you prefer to, I guess, speak at events or host meetup groups? What is your preferred method? Okay, good point. You know, actually, I've been invited out many times now by different podcasters, hosts, and meetings all across USA. I was just with Jake and Gina, my good friends, and they are very good people. Right there in Orlando, they invited me. I was speaking in the stage with Dylan, my good friend, 500 people, 550 people. So hopefully we made some good impact into their lives. And then, you know, my podcasts, I have two podcasts of my own. Then I'm also guest on a lot of other podcasts. I'm also coming in the Bay Area here, like November 4th, 5th, and 6th. I live in Blackhawk right here, not far at all in the Bay Area, so people can touch and feel and see. We've been living in the East Bay for 39 years, so people can go to my website, Vinny Chopra. They can see who I am, right? But I am getting out more open into meetings to spread the knowledge. And I have my own academy also where I teach investors, students, how to invest, how to look at deals, how to analyze deals, how to raise money rightfully with the investors, how to have packets put together, credibility kit, PowerPoints, all that stuff. What I've done for 12 years, I try to teach them, you know, very, very nominal cost. The other thing is I coach. I coach also every Wednesdays as a group coaching. And then that is given out to hundreds of students who are still working. I do it at four o'clock Pacific time because it's seven o'clock in the East Coast and it goes for two hours. So four to six here and then seven to nine there, you know. So just by producing a lot of educational content, you're able to build that rapport. And eventually when you have a deal, it makes it easier for you to raise those funds. Oh, totally, totally. It's so important. You, you got to be always growing your teams of investors because the thing is, if you have more investors who can invest in your deal, they believe in you, then you can take down larger, like $50 million deals and thirty-five. And so we are looking at some more now, Florida, where we want to buy more. So all those things will come only if we can bring the money. But if the investors can come to dance with us at the end, they are winners. Everybody's a win-win-win situation. I really believe that our investors are win by investing in with us. Our residents are winners. They are win because we are giving them great facilities to live in, communities to make them home. Third, our team members are winning because we are giving employment to them and their children and all, making good living. Vendors, our vendors are also winning because they are the ones who are really making things happen for the different properties. And then, of course, our families are winning with the kind of incomes we bring. We can go vacations and do things and charities. We can give, contribute to the society and different things like that. So now that you've been in the business for a long time, do you have any tips that you would like to give to your younger self? You know, sure. I would say treat every business as that's the business you want to first make a good decision, right? What you want to do, decide for yourself and be 
always have entrepreneur mind that I would like to teach even in the 14 years of age, because when we really get into that mode, that's when you can start building your right thinking, uh, 14, 15, 16, 18. My goal is to really teach how to save money, how to build an entrepreneurship mind early on in the age so that you can be thinking about real estate. I hope everybody starts thinking about real estate much younger age. And Robert Kiyosaki's book is amazing. I like to give it as gifts. It's only $5.34. I just ordered some for some people. And they're saying it's a mass because Robert feels that you can spread the word and do some thinking and changing. Magic of Thinking Big by W.J. Schwartz. How to Win Friends and Influence People, Dale Carnegie. Uh, Magic of Thinking Me, I mentioned that. Charlie Tremendous Jones, Life is you know, Tremendous. All these great mentors, see you at the top, Zig Ziglar, Jim Rohn, all those people. I think we need to be just always be sending more positive messages to ourselves and then decide for one time, hey, I'm going to be in this field and that's it. Massive action is after that. Like Tony Robbins says, I mean, we got to really act. It's one thing to learn, 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 learn. Learning can make you paralyzing too, because you say, okay, I'm going to do better here. I'm going to do better here. And I want to be better tomorrow. I say, be better today. What you have learned, pin it down and take massive action. I love it. So Vinny, how can people get in contact with you? Oh, sure, sure, Sean. Of course, I live in the Bay Area. You could actually, people who want to reach me, they could reach my business advisor, John, J-O-N, John, at finichopra.com. My website is also very available. A lot of blogs, a lot of free stuff is there. And then buy my book if anybody likes to really learn the tricks of the trade. I put my heart out for two years into that book. That's an international top seller in just two months. And that's Apartment Syndication Made Easy on Amazon. I just have the video, or not video, video is not there, audio version on audible.com came out, Spanish version just came out. We're going to be publishing that one. Kindle edition is there. Then my two podcasts, if uh, anybody would like to listen to me as uh, thousands of dollars people pay me, I give my nuggets out for free in a sequel to my book which is Apartment Syndication Made Easy podcast. Please subscribe to it. You'll learn a lot. And then my personal coaching. I also have Mr. Smiley's uh, Motivation Talk Show. People can also subscribe to that podcast also. So a lot more things are out there to reach me, to learn from me and invest with me, partner with me, be my student, come on the GP side, general partner side. So lots of avenues to make things happen. Awesome. Well, Vinny, thank you so much for being on the show today. And thank you for sharing all your little nuggets of wisdom. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Sean. And keep up the great work. It was great seeing you at the REI Bar Camp and look forward to seeing you again. You take care. You take care. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Here are some of the key takeaways from this episode. Vinny's story shows that you can start with a very humble background and still make it big in the industry. Investing in commercial real estate makes sense because it allows you to scale quickly. There are a number of ways to increase your profits, such as using the rub system to save on utility expenses that will make the overall asset worth more when you sell or refinance. If you're interested in becoming a real estate syndicator, get a good mentor or coach. They'll be able to guide you and help you avoid the mistakes that they made in the past. 
Learn to guard your investors' money more than your own, and they'll keep coming back to invest with you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. And if you live in the Bay Area, join our meetup group, where we meet up in San Jose at meetup.com slash everythingrei. Thanks, and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It'll take less than a second, and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at seanpanrealty at gmail.com. That's S-E-A-N-P-A-N-R-E-A-L-T-Y at gmail.com. Thanks, and have a great day.